All right, Joel, I have a MPM-style question for you this week. Ooh, do tell, do tell. Uh, I want you to name a celebrity that has come out as a scumbag, and you were extremely just blown away and disappointed by it. Maybe not necessarily shocked, because my answer, you know, I wasn't too shocked, but just somebody that just really fucking disappointed you whenever they came out, whenever it was released that they were just a... Scumbag. And it can be an athlete, it can be an actor, it can be a musician, you know, whatever. I've got two two answers then. Uh, first one would have to be Louis C.K. Oh, okay. I was, I was bummed. Yeah. Bummed when I heard about that, because I loved that guy. Yeah, and he was the guy that, uh, he's a comedian that was uh, basically just pulling his dick out in front of people that he was talking to and jerking off, right? Right, just women. As gross as it sounds on the spectrum of sexual assault, it's kind of lower on the list. Uh, still really fucking horrible and creepy, in, uh, but in comparison to, like, the people that we're talking about today, like, kind of on the lower end of the spectrum, and that's really fucked up. Yeah, and, and just so everyone knows, we aren't condoning that behavior. <laughs> we are not saying, you know, oh, it's on the low end, it's okay. No, no. We're, we're saying the low end of fucked up. <laughs> yeah, all right? Well, right. on the low end of fuck cunt behavior is still really, really fucking bad. And the other one was uh, the guitarist for The Who. Oh, Pete Townsend. Pete Townsend with his... Uh, kitty porn. Yeah. Kitty porn. I'm sorry. No, no. He was doing research for a book, Stephen. Right. Yes, yes. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, that, that fucking pissed me off to no end. I was... That one... That one made me real mad. Because there goes... I can't listen to Tommy in it ever again. What about you? I won't say I was necessarily like too shocked because he's always kind of seemed like a weird actor, but unfortunately, this was like my favorite actor, and that was Kevin Spacey. Ooh. Oh. I was so disappointed in him. So the stuff came out about him sexually assaulting Anthony Rapp, uh, who was uh, one of the actors in Rent, uh, when he was a teenager, a child essentially, you know, and Kevin Spacey then double down on like his scumbagginess and use this as an opportunity to come out as a gay man, which as if gay people don't have enough problems with assholes correlating them with sexual assault. And then on top of that, the day that he was arrested, he released this fucking, and this was post house of cards, uh, post when he got fired from Netflix, but like he releases this creepy monologue video of him being Frank Underwood and saying things like, you'd like to prove that it was me, but you can't. <laughs> you know, just this, it's like, what the fuck are you doing, you piece of shit? Uh, uh, and, and, and that right there, that particular behavior, we are going to see that behavior, that, that braggadocious, go-fuck-yourself thought process is going to be very, very prevalent in our first villain that we discussed today. And, and if you look at other... Chi- uh, other abusers, uh, sexual assaulters, uh, people who commit these kind of crimes, you'll see this as a regular thing. Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of the times when this is really brought out to the public is when it is a celebrity. On the really shitty end of that is that celebrities have power and money, and typically nothing happens to them. Sometimes there's a court case. Very, very little is their conviction. And they get to keep making money most of the time. The Who is still fucking touring. Kevin Spacey is still making movies. Not the type of movies he would have been making, but he's still making movies. Michael Jackson's still considered a god to some people in the music industry. Right, right. 
Yeah, I'm going to say it. Fuck you, people. Fuck you, Michael Jackson apologists. All right? I, you want to revise history. Kid Diddler, go fuck yourself. <laughs> and speaking of Kid Diddlers, let's talk about our two creepy cunts of today, shall we? Oh, oh, God. <laughs> Can I just throw to, this out we there real quick? At no point during this podcast and this episode are we in any way, shape, or form downplaying or condoning the behavior that these two individuals went into and perpetrated. This is a comedy podcast. Edutainment. There will be jokes, but understand that we completely understand the severity of it and just put your get your hands away from the keyboards. We <laughs> fucking get it. We'll make tasteful jokes. We'll make tasteful we're jokes. Tasteful. We're, we're tastefully pro professional. As a victim of childhood sexual abuse, and I'll just say it, it happened. I understand, and I'm not going to go somewhere that I wouldn't want someone to go to. And I won't let them, folks. So there's your fucking trigger warning. There's your fucking trigger warning, ladies and gentlemen. You've got Warden Steven doing the, the editing, so... You do, because you are going to need it, and... Oh, good lord, ladies and gentlemen, we are having a little chinwag today about the UK's favorite DJ and TV presenter, Jimmy Savile, and Donnie Darko's best friend in the world, Jim Cunningham. That's right. Welcome to episode 19 of the Curly Mustache Podcast. I'm Steven. I am Joel. I want to cut my dick off mingle. <laughs> okay. I hate myself. I hate the fact that I'm a dude after fucking researching these guys. Jesus. I feel like that every day. And it's like, I hate the fact that I'm white. I hate the fact that I'm a male. And I hate the fact that I'm... Uh, Nope, just those two. <laughs> okay. I thought you were going to say, like, heterosexual. I was like, nah, I'm, I'm kind of fond of that myself, personally. <laughs> yep, just those two. So, uh, let's go ahead and get started with uh, Jimmy Savile. And this was a sneaky pick from one of our listeners, uh, as you like to call Accent Adam. Yes, from York. Thank you, Adam. Uh, right, Gavna, I thank you very much. <laughs> let's not. I appreciate it. Let's not. I really, really do. I'm sorry. No, let me let me try that again. <clears throat> right, Adam. I appreciate it immensely, mate. I really do. <laughs> there we go. That's your... Who is that guy? Sean, Sean B. Bald guy. Uh, Jason Bean. Statham. There's my Jason Statham impression. Let's get started with Jimmy Savile. Uh, uh, no! He was born in 1926, died in 2011. Born in Leeds, UK, in October... He was the youngest of seven children. His parents were Vincent Savile, uh, who was a bookmaker's clerk, and his mother's name was Agnes Kelly. And very young, he was kind of a sickly child, so we're talking around one, two years old. He looked sickly. <laughs> if you ever look him up, and I, I'm not trying to just dissing him because he's a fucking pedo asshole cunt fuck, <laughs> but no, just he looks sickly. He is that guy. If he were not famous, he would be the guy everyone... Right? You'd be walking down the street, all the parents would walk to the other side of the road, and the dads would be like, right, right, look at him. Look at that fuck. He's a child diddler, that one. Oh! Oh! I can't, I'm sorry. There's going to be a lot of interruptions of me going, because it skeezes me the fuck out. Are you doing Jason Statham or Sean Bean? Because Sean Bean's the Yorkshireman. Jason Statham is the Londoner. Right, well, uh, according to Accent Adam, the accent I just did there was 
London. <laughs> okay. Not not Yorkshire. So, uh, as a young child, he developed a serious case of pneumonia, and uh, basically his mother thought he was going to die. She decided to pray the sickness away at the Leeds Cathedral uh, to this Scottish nun named Margaret Sinclair, and she believed that he owed his life to the nun because he got magically better after she prayed to this nun. Yeah, thanks, God. Thanks a lot. <laughs> you had the opportunity to take this fucker out. Thanks a lot. And... And his mother's uh, very strong religious belief guided him as he got older, and not in a good way. He he very much made it kind of like a, a bit of a side quest in his life mission to be almost antagonist. Well, not almost, very antagonistic to, to to people with a strong belief system. I mean, his mom was a nut. Let's just be real. But Jimmy very much went out of his way to kind of attack, in his dry British humor way, people of a strong belief system. Because, yeah, I can't imagine why. Can't imagine why Jimmy would go after people who might think he might be a bad person. Huh. Narcissists. Huh. He had some resentment for his mother's religious behavior, but he also resented his dad quite a bit as well. Absolutely. He's often quoted as saying his dad was a good and honorable man, but he was broke. And he'd rather be a bad man with a lot of money, basically. I'm paraphrasing. But that was basically, that was that was Jimmy's driving force in life. Yeah, that seems like a really fun, uh, fun and productive code to live by. Yeah, the Gordon Gecko Code. Always works out. He started working at a young age, like around 17 or 18. This was kind of at the uh, cusp of, of World War II. He started working in the coal mines in England and actually hurt his back at a very young age from a coal mine explosion. And basically kind of decided that maybe the spinal injuries and the, uh, the lifelong back pain was not worth dying in a coal mine. And, and you'll see, this, this very much plays into... Uh, Jimmy Savile's later choices in life, his particular charities that he set up, and he raised a fuck ton of money for charities. But in particular, his focus very much on spinal injuries and back spinal injuries, back injuries, paralysis, things along those lines. And I, I think this shows what kind of fucking villain he was. Basically, our theme in this episode is wolves in sheep's clothing. Because that's what both of these villains are. Poorly made sheep's clothing. Surrounded by surrounded by fucking sheep that allow the wolf predatory behavior. No, don't just allow it. Encourage it for their own personal gain. I'ma say this now. Fuck the BBC. Yeah. And we'll get into that here in a little bit. Fuck the BBC. <laughs> Right after he uh, stopped, you know, right after he recovered, he started uh, dealing scrap metal, kind of going into some different businesses. And he got into the later 1940s is when he kind of transitioned into a radio DJ, along with some other interesting life choices like uh, going into professional wrestling, which is really strange for somebody with a back injury to get into. Really crazy because typically you have to be in top shape to get into, into professional wrestling. And... He was a basically semi-professional bike racer as well. Yeah, he was always looking for a rush. He was always looking away, both in his professional life and public life and in his private life. 
which you'll see later on, he very much was always looking for a rush, always looking to push the envelope. And like, for example, uh, when he became a DJ, before he went on the radio, uh, he, you know, leads in those particular areas would have, you know, a guy who would go up and start kind of, he's kind of like the warming act. And instead of playing records, they would just play the bands and people would dance to the bands. Jimmy had this thing where he was the opening kind of act, get people in the mood. And instead of a band, it was a constant rotation of records. And it's, it's basically what we know now as, you know, uh, FM radio. But back then, on a live show, during a live set, it was unheard of. Like, you know what? He, he, he had an idea that he, you know, wanted to fulfill. It's a pretty excellent description of the type of guy that he was. And he basically just kept becoming more and more popular as, you know, as his career went on. Uh, I think he kind of reached, like, his extreme popularity in the 1960s is when he became, like, a really popular radio DJ. At this point, was, like, a television personality for BBC. Was making friends with people like Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> writing best-selling novels. And I say this in the most, like, direct sense. This guy was a... British national trade. Oh, he absolutely was. His show, Jim Will Fix It, which is kind of like a successful British version of Richard Simmons' Dream Wishmaker. Richard Simmons uh, had a show where he would get letters from people and he would read them and then he would make that wish come true. Jimmy Savile had that same one. It was called Jim Will Fix It. And he, that show ran had almost over 300 episodes. It ran for fucking ever. And people loved it. And at the same time, he was doing things, and this is this goes back to like our wolf and sheep's clothing thing. He's, at the same time, as he's being beloved by all these people, he's donating to, to hospitals. He's donating to Jewish charities. He's uh, creating, it's almost like a, a opposite Blackbeard. Oh, he's creating this like persona that's spread the word. Jimmy Savile is a saint and he's doing everything to make everyone love him and he deserves it. Like he wanted to be the center of attention. That was his goal. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. To the point that like his first TV show, Jim shows the hits or some shit like that, or the hits, BBC, the hits, whatever. It was in black and white, but Jimmy would, uh, on TV, it was all in black and white. You couldn't tell, but every day, every episode, he would dye his hair a different color so the audience would get to talk about him. He knew how to to market himself and sell himself as the eccentric, lifelong bachelor who dressed crazy and does all this crazy shit. And uh, he's fucking children. Yeah, and, and that's something that, like, we've sat here and, like, built up, you know, his character on purpose because there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes here that are that's being swept under the table by the media, by BBC specifically, by, you know, people in power get to do this shit and they get away with it. And, unfortunately, while this is going on, like, he's got some sexual assault allegations out on him that are essentially just being swept under the rug. Like, there's, you know... There were allegations of child abuse, dating as far back as 1963, like right when he first started becoming like a, a DJ. Uh, he was very defensive about like the allegations, you know, 
as one might be. Oh, this was later in life, of course, when computers were a thing, personal computers. But he was like, I don't own a computer. I don't want people thinking I'm downloading child porn. Uh, even like other celebrities at this point, like John Lydon from the from the Sex Pistols, basically said he knew everything that Savile was doing at the time. And at first said he would like to kill him, but clarified that he meant he'd like to have him locked up so that he couldn't hurt children anymore. That, that, that guy got blackballed by the BBC because of his very public statements against a very famous, lucrative, money-making figure at the BBC. His shit was never shown on the BBC again. Now, don't get me wrong. It's the Sex Pistols. I'm sure they were doing plenty of other things that definitely... <laughs> didn't right. go well with the Margaret Thatcher era of uh, the British politics. But even as far back as when uh, Savile was a wrestler, one of his coworkers, Adrian Street, said that Savile would basically have teenage girls, like as young as like 12 and 13, line up in the dressing room. And he would basically take one back into his dressing room once a day and tell all the others come back tomorrow. Fuck! That should be enough! That should be enough. Yeah, it should be. But th that was just the beginning. That is just the beginning. The horror stories. And and here's the thing with the charity. Like you're thinking, like a lot of people that I spoke to were like, "Well, if he was such a great guy, why would he raise up to over the course of his lifetime forty million dollars in charity for children's hospitals and whatnot? If he was such a bad guy, this motherfucker." set up those uh, charity funds so he could have, and I I am not overstating this, he had full and complete access to everything in the hospital. Every patient. When I mean access, he had the fucking keys to get anywhere. He had an office. Children sick in bed who could, you know, from back injuries or post-surgery, he would go in there and diddle them, if not outright rape them, to the point that the nurses would walk by the room of the child, the fucking helpless child in a place that you are supposed to be super fucking safe at, right. and be and yell through the door, Right, Jimmy, you can't be doing that here tonight! And then Jimmy would get up, walk away with his big fucking cigar because the guy loved those phallic-shaped things to put in your fucking mouth and then just be like, right, not again tonight, and then off he fucking goes. To the point that the nurses, your caretakers, told them, I can't be doing that tonight, Jim. Fucking hell. It's not like this shit wasn't known by the police. Like, he had multiple investigations by the police, but... Because of lack of evidence, there was nothing that could be brought up. Like, at what point are you just not, like, following this fucking guy around? Look, I get it. The fucking British people are incredibly polite and and and, and very rule-oriented, if you will. But for once, I just wish they'd turn into a fucking Guy Ritchie film and do something. Alright? Look, I get it. If it turns into a Guy Ritchie film, we're all gonna have to learn to speak Cockney. But... Let's just fuck it. I'll learn some Cockney if that means someone isn't two knuckles deep into an underage child. There was a lot of fear. I mean, th this guy had a lot of power. We've said it several times now. Like, yeah, The Sun uh, wrote several articles, like, tying him to child molestation and, like, and sexual assault. And he countersued them and, I believe, put them in a real bad position financially. Yeah, Margaret fucking Thatcher. That vile bitch 
was one of his best friends. She basically, they, they didn't call her the Iron Lady for nothing. It's not like she had a sunny disposition and ran her department and cabinet and country like it was not, you know, like it was just, uh, we'll be fluffy about it. And this is the woman who got him knighted. He's a fucking knight. He's a sir. Sir Diddle of pedophilia. <laughs> fast forward, like, really... Because a lot of the stuff comes after he died. So let's go ahead and fast forward to his death in 2011. Uh, he, was, he was 84 years old. The cause of death was pneumonia. Uh, of course, there was this national, like, basically a party whenever he died with his golden coffin, his gold satin coffin. And uh, he's got a, his, the last cigar he ever smoked was put in his coffin. And it was tilted. Uh, tilted a certain degree so that he could see the ocean from his gravesite. Oh, good, because I'm sure that's really going to be great when you're in fucking hell being roasted, you sick fuck. He had this clause, like, Jimmy would show up at any, like, charity events. You got charity events for kids? Jim's there. Jim's going to be Jim's. Jim, Jim will fix it. Jim will bring the people, his celebrity fans, all right? His celebrity friends, they're coming. They're going to raise some good fucking money for this charity. He had this thing, he had this trailer, a caravan they called it, right? That's how he traveled. That's how he went around. It was a gaudy, ostentatious, big old monstrosity, right? Because that's how he lived. You know, like bright satin gold short shorts with a mesh top, with that mop of white hair that he had, and a big old fucking cigar. And he would show up and people were like, oh, there's fucking Jim. There's Jim. Jim's here. And he had, like, this rider clause in his rider, like, whoever they went with, they would have to provide him with security. Security being six very attractive women under the age of 16. They would have to go camping. They'd have to camp out with him. They had to camp next to his fucking caravan. And then that's that's what they would do. They... they these fuckers, for the sake of money, would set up six attractive underage women. Children. Children. Let's not even say women. They're not women yet. Because they're not fucking adults. They're children. Six, t six attractive children to, to set them up and he's just throwing the fucking big ball of pedophilia right down the bowling alley lane. That was his rider for fucking years yeah. up until towards the hilarious. end. It's been marinating in my brain for the past week. And I want to fucking... When I go to England again, I'm going to slap the shit out of Adam for fucking suggesting this. Because I've had it in my head, and it's made me rather unliked at work. Because once I start talking about research, that's all I want to talk about. And it's really... The people don't want me to come hang out with them anymore. And I don't know why. Yeah, they probably felt that way beforehand. Well, probably this is just an excuse. <laughs> Who can blame them, though? All right, so after his death, basically, like, what was it? 450 victims came forward tying Seville to a 10-week-long investigation, and they, the police tied him to 199 different sexual crimes. I mean, this dude was the fucking Michael Jordan of sexual assault on minors. It's unbelievable. Included in the 199 allegations, 31 of them were rapes. 82% of these allegations were against women who were 
young adults or children at the time. And 80% of the entire amount were children or young adults. Yeah, and that's the fucked up part. Is Jim, Jim didn't give a shit what the gender was. If If it's there, we're going for it. And this was over a span of... 50 years. Yeah, 50, 60 years. Yeah. From the ni- he, 1963 was the one dated back as far as t- all the way up to 2010, a year before he died. There is video on YouTube of BBC uh, broadcast from his show, Jim Will Fix It, where he's got underage women on stage. You know, it's a, it's a show that kids can watch. Jim Will Fix It. Whatever. Everyone gets it, right? Kids l- fucking loved it. Oh, my mommy and I will go see in you know, Disneyland. Oh, I'll take you to Disneyland. Puff, puff, puff. There's this video of him groping on underage girls on fucking camera. Just, just, yep. (laughs) And BBC was so stuck up his ass that they, they didn't even show the investigation on any of the news shows or anything like that. They, they refused. In fact, Australia was blowing the news up with... Jimmy Savile shit. It, it really, England was sort of radio silence. They were purposely hiding this because they knew that the chickens had come home to roost. There was an internal investigation that was going to be broadcast, like turned into like a little mini documentary on t- to, to be released on television. And the higher ups on the BBC, these motherfuckers nixed it two days before it's supposed release. It got released a year later heavily redacted, heavily whitewashed. But yeah, everyone in the on the upper echelon of management for the BBC went fucking into full cover your ass mode. Like they are still still Jimmy's been dead for what, 8 9 years now? 8 years, yeah. 8 years. They are still trying to cover their ass and hide the truth. It's a real shame that this guy died before he was really just outed because really the only vindication that any victims got is the fact that like places and it's small, like the fact that like places that were named after him had to change. They didn't have to, but they changed their names. His family destroyed his gravestone. Like, and then they got a, a public apology from the UK Secretary of State, which I actually do want to read if that's cool. Yeah, because then I get some more about the BBC. That is just that is just I, it, I yes, read that, and then I want to give you a little bit more information about the BBC because that just <laughs> the UK Secretary of State released a public apology after the investigation. Uh, and this is direct quote: Savile was a callous, opportunistic, wicked predator who abused and raped individuals many of them patients and young people who expected and had a right to expect to be safe. His actions span across five decades from the 1960s to 2010. As a nation at that time, we held Savile in our affection as a somewhat eccentric national treasure with a strong commitment to charitable causes. Today's reports show that in reality, he was a sickening and prolific sexual abuser who repeatedly exploited the trust of a nation for his own vile purposes. Exploited the trust of the nation. You mean the nation that gave him the fucking go-ahead? Like, listen, I am not bad-mouthing Britain, alright? Everyone gets fucking fooled. Everyone gets fucking played. 
I get it. But those in power knew what was going on, and they still did it fucking anyway. The Queen knew. If you're trying to tell me that the Queen of England, the highest power in the land, didn't know that Jimmy Savile was fucking kids, you're out of your goddamn mind. That woman knows everything about everyone. And this isn't playing into my whole... The royal family is part of the Illuminati as we know it in this generation that secretly control the world. I may have those particular conspiracy theories on rap and fully believe them, but Jesus fucking Christ. And it was just prevalent. If you go, there's a, there's, there's a podcast. I will release the link to it. It is two hours of just the victims telling their story with a narrator between them. I don't cry often, but honestly, I'm near weeping thinking about the non-stop, hedonistic, masochistic... Uh, and I know that we've only been at this for 30 minutes and we haven't really talked about the details, but you fuckers don't need the details. You need to understand that hundreds of underage children in hospitals... He fucked them in the ass. A grown-ass man is fucking sick children in the ass. And the BBC uses the excuse when they're like, well, he was there on a work project. Ah, right. Well, the victims went to their boss and told him, right? Right. But he, they didn't go to HR. So since they didn't go to HR, BBC's not held responsible for it. That's how the BBC got out of fucking trouble. And and it's not unusual for sexually abused children to not tell somebody. So that's not even including the, the all the people that didn't come forward. Right. We're talking about 50 years. 50 years of predatory behavior. And everyone gave this fucking weird-looking motherfucker just a wide fucking berth. He was friends with the guy, what was it, Jeremy Glitter, Glitter something, One Hit Wonder, big One Hit Wonder was I Like Little Girls. I'm not even joking. That song is, I like little girls, they make me feel so nice. He was arrested in 2009 for fucking an underage Thai girl in fucking the, the Thailand. Jeez, who would have ever, ever expected? And here's the thing, he had a ring. There are... We bring this up today because we're talking about Jerry, because we were discussing last week about Jeremy Epstein and his pedophile ring, which is not, you know, like, lots of people use that phrase, but Jimmy Savile had a ring, had a large group of people who would ship these kids back and forth around the UK and just trade them like fucking Pokemon cards. Ugh, I feel sick to my stomach, this fucking guy. How are we doing a British episode and I have barely done a British accent? Because you're wising up. Oh, fuck you. Fuck you! <laughs> you're becoming a better podcaster. You take that back. You take that back right fucking now. <laughs> take it back! No, I won't. <laughs> Alright, we're, we're getting a little worked up, so let's move on to Jim Cunningham. Are you, got, are you good with that? I legitimately... And I'm not trying to cater or, like, I, I I have been trying to make today's episode funny. We're not just a comedy podcast. We're uh, we're edutainment. We're edutainment. Exactly. We're also a true crime podcast. We're also a pop culture podcast, so. But I literally, 
have never wanted to not do something. Uh, yes, yeah, you were like this with David Duke. No. Yes, you were. No, because, like, yeah, I bitch, I holler, I scream, I yell. I hate this fucking guy. Cookie Monster's mad. Cookie Monster <laughs> went to kill pedophile. <laughs> but there's just, it's, it's, this has been, I think, the hardest one for me. So do you mean that it's been the hardest as in like it's been the hardest one for you to do or the one that's made you the hardest? Wow. Wow. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we have just fucking flipped the, the script here because before I'm the one making those inappropriate comments and I'm over here like I've never done something that made me want to quit this. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. Researching Jimmy Savile has made me want to quit doing this podcast. It has legitimately given me nightmares. We're going to talk about... And I had the time of my life And I never felt this way before Yes, I swear Patrick Swayze He played the role of Jim Cunningham in Die Darko, please stop, stop. me, Stephen. I get there. You go. <laughs> I was gonna just let you roll with it. I was like, I'm not sure how long he's gonna go on with this, but I was gonna keep fucking going. <laughs> it's like Anything... I'm the whole three minutes. Let's let's please let's just talk about a fictional pedophile other than the guy who broke a million children. Please. Yeah, yeah. Let's do that. We can have a little more levity with this conversation because it is fictional. Yes. Let's talk about Jim Cunningham. He was created by Richard Kelly for the movie Donnie Darko in 2001, portrayed by the great Patrick Swayze. Yep. You yep. know, the cooler from Roadhouse. You know, when, when I was a kid, I liked to describe <laughs> Patrick Swayze as a, uh, he's like the wind. <laughs> oh, no, I'm going to, every chance I get to, I'm going to include dirty dancing music. Every chance I get now. I, I need to get this out of me. That's fair. And I'll just include uh, Roadhouse quotes. Okay. I'm on my lunch break. Stay on Perfect. it. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Cunningham is this motivational speaker that pushes the philosophy of love and fear. The philosophy states that all things can be categorized into these two sides of the spectrum. Uh, it states the only way to live is to embrace love and to avoid fear. And that things like violence and obesity and addiction, all these things that, you know, affect people, they're only products of fear and you'll never have to face them if you just simply avoid them. You know, it's typical motivational speaker bullshit. Like, they come up with these philosophies that are just garbage, like, nonsense thrown together and then people are stupid. I'd say more than half of people are pretty dumb. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there is something <laughs> to be said about this particular philosophy that I, I kind of like. All right? Love and fear. I do like the concept that, that, can, that life can be broken down to it. Love involves everything that you, that you appreciate and that you're willing to do and willing to do for others. And fear is your own inhibition stopping you from achieving the love that you should be receiving and giving to the universe. You know what I mean? I like that concept. That's one way to look at it, but you also have to to say that those things can't affect you if you avoid them, I think is total bullshit. Oh yeah, I didn't say the whole, the, you know, minutia of it. You kind of did. No, I said I like the concept. 
Steven, <laughs> open your fucking ears while I'm talking. Don't be a cunt. Can we basically just go ahead and say that he's essentially a cult leader? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. He is a dollar store. What, who's the name of the guy with the big teeth? Tony Robbins. He is a dollar store off-brand Tony Robbins cult wannabe leader. With a little sprinkle of Joel Olstein as well. Joel Olstein and the amazing, <laughs> amazing fucking hair of Patrick Swayze. I don't care who you are, gay, straight, or anywhere in between <laughs> the spectrum. Everyone looked at Patrick Swayze's <laughs> hair and said it was fucking glorious. It's true. Say it, say it, say his hair was glorious. His hair was glorious. Goddamn right. <laughs> and the reason we say he's essentially a cult leader is basically he had this small group of brainwashed townspeople that took his word as gospel. And they would spread it throughout the community, like including all the way up to teaching it in their classrooms. Even the teachers were like peddling this through their classrooms. Because that always ends well. That really ends well when you put fundamentalism of any kind into teaching curriculum. I can't see any way that that's gone bad. The American has institutions in the Nazis and the Jordans. Yeah. I'm sorry. Where'd that come from? Where'd that come from? I don't know. Oh. It, it was your inner Mingala coming out. Yeah. It's almost like history has taught us something. I don't know. What the fuck happened there? Go on. All right, so the main character, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, he is Donnie Darko. He he knows that Cunningham is full of shit. He knows that he's just manipulating people and thinking he's he has their best interests. Uh, he's just trying to sell more books and tickets to his fucking speeches and more TV time. And he's during class one day, his teacher is trying to peddle this shit, and Donnie Darko is just like, "This is bullshit. This is all fucking bullshit. You can't lump all of life's emotions into two ends of the spectrum." There's so much in between. And he's like, there's so many things that affect each side of it. And this is paraphrasing a little bit, but like you can be not an addict and still be affected by addiction without giving into your fear and being an addict. You know, you can still be a victim of violence and not be giving in to fear of violence. You know, the shit like that happens constantly all the all day every day to everyone sounds to me like someone's expressing a little bit of fear fear <laughs> of accepting something Stephen. Stephen, if that's what's happening are you starting to question my devotion to sparkle motion is that what's happening here <laughs> i don't i don't sparkle motion that's from i just watched donnie darko a couple days ago to do research for this podcast okay okay i i haven't seen donnie darko in ages i remember it well sparkle but... motion was like the little dance group that the yes Okay. And the, the crazy teacher starting to doubt uh, Donnie's mom's devotion to Sparkle Motion. I bet her name was Karen. That sounds like a Karen thing. <laughs> All right. So in the original timeline of Donnie Darko. Because there's time travel in this one, kids. Yeah, exactly. If you haven't seen it, spoiler alert, it's a very convoluted, confusing fucking time travel. Exactly. And in the original timeline, Donnie Darko has this like imaginary uh, friend named Frank the Rabbit who tells him to commit crimes, and he decides to burn down Jim Cunningham's house while he's gone. So, while the firefighters are putting out the fire, what do they discover, Joel? Why, that would be a secret sex dungeon, Stephen. Yes. Not just any sex dungeon, because there's nothing wrong with a sex dungeon. Let's let's put that out there. 
I have friends that have sex dungeons. I've been in a sex dungeon before. Hold not up. to perform. Not to perform, Hold but up. I have been in a sex dungeon. Steven. It was neat. Steven. Steven. <laughs> Steven. Buddy. I think the audience and I needed, I think now story time. <laughs> what were you doing in a sex dungeon, Steven? My friends were showing me a sex dungeon. Describe the sex dungeon. I'm asking, I'm trying to get you to give me details on what a real fucking sex dungeon is for. Looks like I'm thinking of the toy box killer from uh, El Paso, from Texas, okay? I need real. It was like a room off of their basement. Okay. And it was like, you know, enclosed, no windows or anything Naturally. like that. It was, it was a couple of those like medieval, like, uh, I don't know what they're called. It's like the big cross, the big wooden cross thing. The get. X, the big X. Yes, the, the rack. big X. Yes. Okay. Was the floor was the floor finished? Was the were the walls finished or was yeah, it, it was like finished? It was very classy. It was a very classy, nice section. Okay, red pleather. Uh, no, a black no. pleather. What are we working with here? What's the lighting situation like? Kind of dim, a little dim. Naturally, want to hide your sins. Go on. Yeah. <laughs> and then there was one of those stool things where you bend over and tie yourself to the bottom of it. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> So yeah, there were dildos. There were a lot of dildos and sex toys and things like that. Like a chest, I believe. I think there was a chest in the corner. A chest of dildos. <laughs> Some straps, I believe, on the bed frame. Okay, okay. I'm liking this. Have they got... Like I said, when I hear the Sex Dungeon, I think of the Toy Box Killer, which is an episode we're definitely going to do because he is... But I've, I've described something kind of pleasant, right? Yeah, you, you, you described a great weekend <laughs> for me you described a great weekend in my 20s that i wish i'd had but no 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 cunningham's sex dungeon no no that was that was high grade fancy uh real state of the art for you know filming kitty porn and selling it yeah oh that turned that conversation sour pretty quickly didn't it yeah, I really wanted to just give our audience something to hold on to before we brought it back into kid diddling. Yeah, but he was arrested at this time. He was dragged out of his house. Unfortunately, as most cult leaders reveal, all his followers didn't believe it. It's sort of a Trump situation here. Where, <laughs> oh, somebody set him up. Somebody set him up. He didn't do anything. He never, he never raped anybody. Cunningham is playing 4D chess. He's that far... <laughs> fucking ridiculous did you hear those fuckers ever say that about trump yeah. he's playing 4d chess what the fuck is 4d chess he's he's in the fourth dimension cool so he's playing he's playing chess outside of time and space okay <laughs> he's the fucking guy from uh interstellar he's matthew mcconaughey's character interstellar he's playing chess in the future in the past at the same time through <laughs> pretending to be a ghost exactly. right okay Go on. I'm sorry. Yeah, and so when he's arrested, it's only revealed that he films kitty porn there, but as the paper shows later on in the movie, he's actually uncovered to be this kind of leader of a, of a kitty sex ring. I do have a question for you, and this is a question for the audience, because you'll notice this, especially with Jim, right, and a lot of other people who are in charge of a group of people who are sexually abusing their position and minors and kids, the whole kit and caboodle. Uh, my question is, you'll notice that they, they, a lot of them are kind of motivational people. Do you think that's kind of a way in their mind? I know that they know there's that they're fucked up, right? And as, as sociopaths, 
they they lack that common sense of uh, they physically lack the ability to empathize with other people. So you're asking me but what I think, think is the deal with that, basically? I do you think they do it as a way of a comp- compartmentalizing what they're doing into making it acceptable? I think it's classic misdirection. Okay. Okay. I think it's classic misdirection where they just they just want to paint themselves as a great character to avoid being caught at all costs. They don't want the rush of possibly being caught, so they make everybody turn their head because nobody's going to suspect this person who does so many great things for so many people on the regular as basically the most horrible person okay. in the world. Okay, okay. Some events happen in the movie, and I don't want to spoil it for you for those that haven't seen Donnie Darko, but the timelines get shifted, and he ends up having to change the timeline and this basically when he does this all the characters he interacts with have deja vu of what has happened so in this timeline jim cunningham's house has never been burned down and he's never been caught for his crimes but he does have deja vu feeling like he did Steve Rogers basically put the Infinity Stones yeah, back. exactly. And the new timeline was created. The movie ends without him ever getting any sort of, like, punishment. But on after the movie came out, the official Donnie Darko website basically had his obituary on there and said that after two days of the events that happened, uh, he shot himself on the golf course in the head. But before he did that, he cleared out his kiddie porn dungeon, so nobody ever found out that he... Uh, he was a sick bastard. And the question you really need to ask yourself is, how often does this happen in the real world? Right. Like, oh, yep, I'm done. I'm just a fucking done, man. I'm done. We're just about done. We're almost done. There's a really funny part, Donnie Darko, when uh, Donnie's character, or Donnie's school, who, which is kind of a re- religious school. I'm not sure if they come out and straight up say it's a religious school, but there are religious teachings one of the teachers talks about how he can get into trouble if he starts talking about like more secular shit and they're all uniformed and stuff. So I believe it's sort of a religious school, but they have Jim Cunningham come in and do a speech and Donnie like basically steps up there and he tells him, he's like, you know, all this is bullshit. And he ends the segment with like me personally, I think you're the fucking antichrist. (laughs) (laughs) I decided to do a little project and uh, look up the rules of the Antichrist, essentially, from, you know, from Christianity. And let's just, let's talk about that with the audience. Is Jim Cunningham the Antichrist? Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Is Jim the Antichrist? With your host, Stephen LaRose Rosenberg. Let's go! So let's talk about rules of the Antichrist. Number one, he will blaspheme God. So, in response to that... Cunningham claims religion is not needed, just the avoidance of fear and embrace of love. Technically, you're kind of quoting the New Testament. <laughs> kind of, because God, if Jesus himself said, you know, you don't need, like, like there's certain interpretations where Jesus was saying, you don't need religion, you need to love one another. So we'll make a case. We'll make a case for each one, and we'll decide whether it's a gray area, a yes, or a no. And then by the end, we'll see how many yeses versus noes, and then we'll decide. All right, let's put this a gray area. Let's make number one a gray area. Okay, sounds good. Okay. All right, so number two, he claims to be God and is worshipped. His initials are JC, and 
he has a group of followers. But he never technically claimed to be Jesus. He's worshipped. Whereas the Antichrist very, very specifically states, I am the one true God. So Cunningham states that his philosophies are what should be listened to, and he has followers. I'm putting a yes in this one. <sighs> All right. You can have this one. I'm going to disagree okay. with you, but I really... I see where you're going with, but it's more... Okay, go on. Number three, he will display miraculous powers. So Jim Cunningham has faulty success stories from his philosophies. A display, a display of miraculous powers. No! Yes, it is! No, that is not a miraculous power. You know what? I can make up fake-ass stories about me that make me sound fucking great. I'm talking about to the public, man. I'm not talking about... You know what I do when I drive Uber? I make shit up. To get people laughing and then fucking make sure I get tips that way. All right? Okay. okay. I'm, I'm going to put right, that so as a no. We'll, we'll, that is a no. We got a gray. That's we got fair. a yes. We got a no. All right. The Antichrist comes back to life. In this one, his life is ruined, but then it's not when the timeline resets. I will give you that one. That's a yeah. That's a bit esoteric of a thought process. But yes, I will give you that one. So that's two yeses, right. one gray, one no. The Antichrist appears holy and Christ-like, but is a deceiver. That's an obvious yes. That's a big yes. That's a big yes. All right. He desecrates God's temple. So in Donnie Darko, he makes his motivational speeches at a somewhat religious school. I'm going to go gray. I'm going to say gray on this one because he's not really desecrating. Okay. He's kind of insinuating his, inserting himself, and I don't mean that as a dirty pun, <laughs> into the school, but he's not desecrating it. He, I don't think, there was no in, there was no, there was nothing that showed him, you know, inserting anything in kids. Okay. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> yeah, I, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. That's a gray area. And then lastly, he causes Earth's armies to fight against Christ. So in this case, he has manipulated many worshippers into defending him, even after severe wrongdoing. I'm going to say no. So we have three yeses, two grays, and two noes. He's a candidate for the Antichrist. <laughs> He's a candidate. Okay. He's a possible... If this were the world of supernatural... He would be a vessel for the Antichrist. <laughs> That's fair. To be possessed by. And to be frank, Patrick Swayze, Silver Fox, when he should have had gray hair, but the son of a bitch never aged. Uh, well, Patrick he was Swayze. Dead before he could. Shh, don't you, you shut your <laughs> fucking whore mouth when you talk about Patrick Swayze. Actually, my cousin met Patrick Swayze. My cousin and his dad, he was filming The Beast in Chicago. My uh, uncle was a cop. Is he retired? He was a cop in my hometown, so he got offered to be on set security. Yeah, apparently Patrick Swayze. The rumors were true. Nicest fucking guy you could ever meet, and probably a really big dick too. Oh, <laughs> let's be real. Patrick Swayze hung like a fucking moose. It's weird how I would rather talk about Patrick Swayze's dick. <laughs> I'd rather sit on Patrick Swayze's dick than ever discuss. <laughs> oh, I can't wait for that to get turned into a clip. <laughs> Please do. I'd rather be anally penetrated by Patrick Swayze than ever 
speak of Jimmy Savile ever fucking again. <laughs> I don't ever want to think about this guy. It's weird when talking about a fictional pedophile has made put me in a better mood than talking about the legitimate pedophile. And so we can end the segment with stating that Jim Cunningham is closer to being the Antichrist than being farther away from being the Antichrist. That is correct. We can <laughs> we can say that. Again, supernatural rules, he's definitely a vessel. <laughs> That's fair. All right, so bowler hat scale. Are you giving both these guys 10s? I don't want to put Jimmy Savile on the 10. There is no words for Savile. He legitimately broke the scale. I think, to be fair, we need to institute a new rule. 1 to 10, and then 10 to Savile. I think, I think we need to add a new... Uh, high water mark of villainy. You're always trying to jump off the scale. We're not jumping no, off the scale. No, no, this is episodes not... in. We're not jumping off. No, before I've always like... stayed within the. This is different. Look, listen. Name another villain that we've talked about that is as destructive as Savile. Name one. Go ahead. Because we talked about killers, but those people are dead. We're talking about hundreds and hundreds of children whose lives are destroyed, who in all likelihood have went on, uh, not all of them, I would say a percentage of them who went on to perpetrate the exact same crimes because it's a circular sort of crime and psychology. Jimmy Savile deserves to have his own mark on the bowler scale. Like... I, we could talk about guys who rape, murder, and kill, and killed hundreds, and none of them are going to touch the sheer level of villainy that Jimmy Savile hit. I do want to play Cunningham's advocate real quick. Oh, fuck. All right. All right. And it's more of a question. than Because I, I firmly agree with you. Like, if I put them on the scale, they're both getting tens. Like, there's no redemption for either one of these guys. But... Kind of like D-Hart was talking about last week. You start at the top, and then you work your way down, essentially. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Cunningham, he has no way to work himself down. The question is, and like I said, this is only a question for you and the audience. Does the good that Savile did with his charity work and the sheer amount of money that helped people in need offset any level of villainy from him? No. No, because he specifically chose those charities and specifically did those charities as a means to have unfiltered access to children. So you think all that was completely planned within his villainy? Absolutely. He he lived the life he wanted and worked everything around being able to get exactly what he fucking wanted. And what he wanted was unfiltered... Uh, unprecedented access to children. Yeah, he, he knew exactly what he was doing. That There was no, like, oh, well, that redeems him a little bit. No, because he did it on purpose to get those fucking kids. That's fair. And like I said, I'm 100% in an agreement with you. I was just, like I said, playing the Antichrist advocate there. Yeah, but honestly, <laughs> yeah, they both get 10, but Savile should have his own marking on the bowler scale. Like, when we talk about the real heavy hitters, like we'll say Andrew Chicatello or Bundy, maybe, or like real 
real, like, up there in the body count. We need to have, like, the Savile scale for those yeah. ones who hit, you know, Hitler. <laughs> we'll put Hitler on the Savile scale, you know what I mean? <laughs> for sure. But that's all I meant by that. But no, fuck both these guys. The only saving grace of, of, of Cunningham was fucking he was played by Patrick Swayze. <laughs> God, you love him so much. Oh, dude, Patrick Swayze was my idea of, like, if I grow up and look or could be as cool as as, as Patrick Swayze, life will be good for me. Yeah, I, was, I think I was 14. Question, would you rather have sex with Patrick Swayze's dead corpse or Jimmy Savile while he was alive? Patrick Swayze's dead corpse. <laughs> Patrick Swayze's dead corpse. Patrick Swayze's dead corpse could break my mouth. <laughs> Wow. Full okay. dirty dancing Havana <laughs> Nights all over my face. I don't give a shit. Okay, well with that with that being said, let's get into our listener feedback. First piece of feedback comes from D Hart, our guest host last week from Motion Picture Meltdown. He says, Thanks for having me on the show, guys. I had F U N. F is for the fire that burns down the whole town. U is for uranium bombs, and N is for no survivors. That's a Plankton reference I couldn't work in last week. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, thanks for joining us, man. Like, I, I know I get to podcast with you all the time, but it was a nice change of pace. It was a lot of fun. I misread when it said Plankton, and I thought it said Palestine reference I couldn't work in. I was like, Jesus Christ. Oh. <laughs> D-Hart just went straight up militant. <laughs> uh, this is from uh, right, new superfan Sarah. How? How does anyone hate whales? <laughs> I'm baffled. Kudos to Joel for the noble defense. Also, the Vinny Ocean not making the waves joke was my favorite. Joel has no appreciation for puns, but I got you, Stephen. Oh, see, see, Joel. People like puns, man. They like them. I love puns. You do not. I you do, you love do not. Puns. You bitch about them all the time. You bitch no, about the motion picture meltdown ones. I hate your puns. <laughs> My puns are amazing. Our our fans are saying they're their favorite. Their favorite joke is a pun. One fan said that, <laughs> and you're you... wow. So you don't care about one fan, huh? No, no, I care man, deeply. You changed, about man. It. <laughs> yeah, you changed. nineteen episodes now that I'm internet famous. <laughs> Fuck you, man. I got twenty one thousand. I got twenty three thousand fans on TikTok. I don't need this shit. Fuck them fans. All right, Sarah. Thanks for the defense, and I agree with you on the whales and on the pun jokes. So right back at you. This one is from Meg. Uh, she said, I'm going to stop being contrarian here, and this was after a, a lengthy Instagram battle with me about babies versus adults. Uh, she says, uh, I'm going to stop being contrarian here for a minute and say, this has probably been my favorite one so far. And this was talking about the Napoleon podcast. She said, the accents, especially French Kermit. <laughs> that's that's D-Hart. Yeah. Napoleon's tiny penis and the added conversation from D-Hart was amazing. I had to pause it a couple times just so I could laugh hysterically. As much as I love trying to argue at times, you guys are awesome. Keep it up. Long time fan, Meg. You're just, you're just the coolest thanks <laughs> but thanks everyone for the feedback we really do appreciate that thank you so much yeah we love discussing villains with you guys so keep it coming and you can continue to reach out with us feedback uh we'll address it every week on the show hit us up on facebook on twitter on instagram just look for the curly mustache podcast uh don't forget to follow it would help out tremendously if you gave us just hit the little recommendation button on facebook 
It's a little button. Just hit it. Or on iTunes. Well, on iTunes is a rate and review. Every rate, every review, uh, Apple has a weird analytic setup to it, but we really could use five stars and we could use reviews because the more we get, the more prevalent we become on uh, recommendations. And we that's, that's kind of what we want. We want to expand, but we can't do it without... I mean, I could set up a whole bunch of fake accounts, but that's <laughs> that's a lot of work, and kind of takes away the pleasure of how we're how well we're the doing. The most important thing that you can do is spreading the word. So tell your friends they can find us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on TuneIn, Overcast, and many other podcast platforms. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to follow, download, and as Joel just said, give us a nice rating and a review if you like the show. If you want to listen to other United Cipher podcasts, check out Music Video Countdown and Motion Picture Meltdown. Uh, you can also listen to older episodes of Talks Over Games, Fallout Forecast, and Anime Alphabet. D-Hart is on all of those. He's very prolific at podcasting. And uh, lastly, check out some shows from friends of ours like Nerdonomy, The Whiskey Reel, Sorry to Waste Your Time, and Code Yellow, A Scare Actors Podcast. Uh, with that being said, I'm Steven. I'm Joel, broken inside due to this week mingle. And make sure you stay here. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>